because as a child, your experiences taught you that other people would not take you seriously or care about you or listen to you or help you, that they would abandon you, they would betray you, they would act badly. Experience has taught you that. Learning, learning, learning on the internet and doing endless self-improvement is not going to make the difference. Having good experiences with loving people who actually love and accept you, that is the healing work. And I have seen miracles happen. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Adam Lane Smith. Adam has coached clients through his attachment method for years. He's helped clients with a variety of backgrounds from regular families with marital troubles to millionaire CEOs looking for dating help. Adam essentially helps anyone looking to fix their dating life, marriage, or overall relationship health. Today on the show, we discuss in depth seven relationship lessons that most people learn too late and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Adam Lane Smith to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Doug. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to have you on and I would love to get right into it. I'd love to unpack throughout the course of this episode seven relationship lessons that you believe most people learn too late in life. And with that said, what's the first one that comes to mind and why? People get it all wrong when they try to be nice to other people. Number one, quit being nice. That's my first relationship tip for people right now. And people out there are going to think that I'm advocating yelling and screaming at your partner. Now, let's let's figure this out. There's a difference between being kind, right? Being actually genuinely kind to other people, doing good for other people because it's good, doing good for other people because it's really the right thing to do and being nice. Being nice means I am doing things that will make you happy so that I can get a result later. Usually this result is I am going to make you like me and then I'll ask for you to meet my needs or you'll be so grateful that I've done 10 nice things for you that you will figure out and mind read and learn what I need and then do it out of gratitude. And what happens is you end up punishing the other person when they fail over and over and over to read your mind. It's just not possible. So if you're open to it, we can do a fun little exercise real here, right here in front of the audience. You're open to it. You game? Let's go. I'm game. Oh, bro. Okay. Okay. I'm going to walk you through a, through a living hell right here, but it'll be fun for the audience. <laughs> All right, guys. Enjoy, enjoy Doug's suffering. <laughs> Doug, I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to run you through uh, two different hypotheticals. I'm going to run you through one, ask you some questions, run you through the second, ask you some questions. And that's going to show the audience what I mean by being less nice and how being nice is ruining their relationships. You ready? Let's go. All right. Close your eyes. Let's do this. People at home, close your eyes unless you're driving, you know, follow along. Don't, don't, don't keep your eyes closed there. Stay, stay alive. But all right, Doug, I want you to imagine that you are with the perfect, perfect partner in the world, right? Perfect partner. When they want something from you, anything, they just very calmly ask. They say, hey, Doug, you know, this, this would mean a lot to me. Could you do this for me? They don't stomp their foot. They don't scream. They don't demand. They just say, hey, this would mean a lot. Could you help me with this? This would be helpful. Thanks, man. When you do something they don't like, they tell you right away the very first time. And they say, hey, you know what? You didn't know. That's okay. 
I, I didn't really like this, but I do like this. Could you do this instead? Or, hey, next time, could you do this? This is so much better. They make it so clear and it's right away. You're never embarrassed. You're, they're not angry. Everything's super clear and they're cooperative. When you do something they do like, they tell you about it and they thank you for it. They're genuinely grateful. Hey, thank you so much. This is cool. I appreciate this. Hey, you know what? Let me tell you why this is even better than you thought it was. It has this special meaning to me. Man, I really appreciate this. So you always know where you stand with them. You always know what they want. And you always know if you're doing the right thing or not. And you're getting help consistently to improve. And they're open to the same in return, that you can do the same thing back with them. Now, do me a favor, Doug, and open your eyes. And I want you to answer me three questions. You better get them right. Uh, number one, do you feel like this person trusts you? Yes. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. <laughs> so a lot of people no, and it's interesting because a lot of people, I do this and they say, I don't know. The answer is probably yes, but it sounds like they got something else going on. No, yeah, this this is actual trust. It's just most people aren't used to being trusted like this. Why would you say that it easily exemplifies somebody trusting you? Good question. Because they are so open with you that they know you will take them seriously if they just ask. And they are open to you so that they know you won't use anything of it against them. And they also trust that you will cooperate with them reasonably during competition or during during complications, during conflicts. You're just going to be there. So they are completely on the table with everything and they hold nothing back. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Good question. Very good question. I like this, Doug. You're sharp. Okay. Question number two, if you're getting feedback about how they like what you're doing and you're constantly improving and the feedback's just getting better and better, and you know it's true because you can believe it, would you feel like your confidence would go up? Would you feel like a pretty good partner? Absolutely. Good. Good answer. Good answer. Okay. Number three, would you feel like this relationship was a stable one where you could relax and it was going to last a good long time? I would believe so. Yes. Yeah. It has all the elements for lasting forever, right? For sure. Very cool. Good answer, Doug. I like this. Okay. Close your eyes. Let's do the opposite now. Let's let's paint this picture for you and the audience. I want you to imagine you have the worst partner in the world. Yeah, you're already twitching. There you go. <laughs> there's, there's, you're doing it. Um, I want you to imagine that this person doesn't ask you for what they want. They do nice things for you, and you have to decipher what they want and why they would be doing those nice things for you. You have to figure it out. And if you do figure it out and ask them, they get really nervous and they deny it. No, I don't need that. That's okay. No, I was joking. No, it's fine. You don't have to do that. But if you don't get it right, they get pissed really mad later on. They have a bad day and they blow up at you about why you don't care about them. You don't care enough to figure out what they need. Every few months, there's a big blow up. And if you, they do something, if you do something they don't like, they don't tell you right away. They may even tell you, no, this is great. No, this is fine. I love it. It's cool. No, don't worry about it. No, it's, it's totally fine. Don't worry. Until they blow up. They get mad someday. Three months down the line, six months down the line, big explosion on a bad day. You've been doing everything wrong. I've never liked those things. You should have known. You should have asked deeper. I shouldn't have to tell you. You should know by now. If you really loved me, you would understand me. And when you do something good, something they like, it becomes a burden. You didn't have to do this for me. This is too much. Why did you do this? How can I pay you back? How much did this cost? What do I owe you for this? They can't just sit and enjoy it. It's a debt. So when you do something right, you get punished. When you do something wrong, you get punished. If you don't do anything at all, you get punished. There's always a punishment coming. And they're very nice about it. They're very nice and never bother you with anything. Now open your eyes. And tell me three things. Do you think that this person trusts you? No. Not at all. Absolutely not at all. If you were in this relationship, do you feel like your confidence would go up or down? 100% down. 
Absolutely. This this is how this is how really toxic people bring you down and destroy you in relationships, by the way, right here. Is this is this is the big mechanism for how they do it. And number three, would you feel like this relationship was stable and you could relax in it and it would last a long time? No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. This is the difference between being nice and holding things in and not telling anybody things, not make a burden, not make a fuss. And being genuinely kind and honest. This is the difference. So people out there, you notice I didn't describe to Doug when I said perfect partner. No physical gestures, no physical pieces. They weren't jacked. They weren't gorgeous. They weren't tall. They weren't rich. They were just honest and trusting and open, cooperative, transparent. Here's the thing is when you are kind and honest to the person, it's a gift to them. It makes them feel trusted, safe, confident, relaxed, loved. And it makes them feel like their relationship is going to last so they can relax and enjoy life. That's the difference, my friend, between being nice and being kind. So everybody out there, lesson number one, spend less time being nice, spend more time being kind. On the theme of that, I feel like, you know, there's a, there's a lot out there online right now about asking for, for what you want in a relationship and making sure your needs are getting met. And it seems like what you just described to me is very in line with that, right? How do you best advise people to politely and kindly not only ask for their needs, but once they ask for their needs, if those needs aren't getting met, how do they, how can they stand up for themselves in a way that's going to move the relationship forward or they, you know, decide to exit the relationship? Ooh, now that's awesome. So here's point number two is build boundaries and learn to ask for things, learn to express boundaries, learn to have little conflicts. These are conflicts, right? Are they going to take me seriously? Will they cooperate with me? These are the questions we ask. And I'm an attachment specialist. Attachment's the belief that nobody will take us seriously or cooperate with us because they don't care. That's the root of attachment problems. So people with attachment issues, about 65% of the estimated American population right now has attachment issues. They will walk in and say, well, it's great that you want me to ask for my needs to get met, but how do I do that? And how do I push back if I'm not taken seriously? A couple of things here. So the lesson number two, start asking like this. Hey, I have this need. How can we make that happen? You're offering a trade. Hey, do we talk about sex a little bit on the show? Sure. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Husbands and wives, right? I worked, I've worked with 15 years now, relationships and psychology. So many husbands and wives would come in to me and say, Adam, we haven't had sex in a year. And I look at the wife and says, when was the last time he asked you? And she says, about a year ago. And then that's, that's the problem a lot of the times. Not always, but I, hey, wife, I, it's been a little while and I'm kind of hurting over here. I could use some, some tender love. How can we make that happen? That right there, hey, you know what? I've been feeling lonely lately. We haven't had a date in a while. How can we make that happen? Hey, I need, I am going to be so worked over to death. I don't have time to cook for myself. Could you cook some meals for me? How can we make that happen? Hey, I need you to take the kids for a while. You know, how can we make that happen? Because I got this other thing going on. How can I make it happen? You're offering a trade. Now it feels transactional, but in a loving relationship, the other person should take you seriously. And they're not going to say, sex, mm, that'll be $300. They're probably, your wife is going to say, yeah, it sounds great, but we haven't spent time together. So I'd love to sit with you and talk with you. Maybe let's go on a date or something. Then I'm up for it. So the price is to spend some time together. Sometimes they'll say, hey, you know what? I got you. Don't worry about it. You working benefits me. Let me feed you and take care of you so we can take care of each other. Cool. Like I'll, I'll take the kids for a while if you take the kids so we can trade times. Great. 
this is sharing your needs. And it's so easy when you offer a trade because you don't feel like you're begging. You don't feel like you're yelling. You're offering a trade. Now, if they don't take you seriously, they are not cooperating with you in this relationship. It may be that they have a need that isn't being expressed or they don't believe it's possible to work together with other people. So they're trying, they're, they have an exploitative model in their head and you got to either work through that with them or acknowledge that it's not going to work with them one or the other. How can somebody know if it's uh, worth working on that relationship if somebody doesn't take your needs seriously? Because I would imagine that, you know, you opening up about what you want in a relationship, you know, when you've been dating somebody for two or three weeks or a month is much different than being rejected in a, in a marriage or in a relationship that you've been in for like five years, right? Let me ask you this, Doug. If I walked up to you and said, everything you know about gravity is wrong and things don't drop when you drop them. If I walked up to you and said that, would you believe me? Uh, no. Probably if not. I said, hey, you know, water's actually pretty dry, Doug. Water's actually pretty dry. Would you believe that? Would you just take my word? No. The problem with attachment issues and people who refuse to work with you is that people didn't take them seriously as a kid. They had to fight to get their needs met, or they had to manipulate to get their needs met, or they had to beg to get their needs met. So they think that in relationships, that's normal. So when you walk in and try to work with them and say, let's be a team, let's do this together. Like we can do this. I will trust you. I will take care of you. You will trust me. We will be great. It will be wonderful. Let's just do this. You're walking up and saying water is dry. Gravity is fake. None of that's real. That's not how the world works. I'm telling you how the world really works. Bend the spoon, Neo, right? Water is dry. Just walk on that water. That's what you're telling them. And so they cannot believe it if they haven't experienced it. And if they're not open to testing it. If they refuse, there is nothing you can do because you're trying to challenge their concept of how the world works. You can tell them, watch this video. I got 450 videos on my channel for attachment. I have an attachment boot camp course. I have all kinds of resources for this. If you can lead them there, they can choose to drink and they can choose to say, okay, maybe. And then you can start the process of testing. But if they refuse and say, that's not how it works. You're being dramatic. I don't care. Get out of my face. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do. And that is the ultimate test of if a relationship can work or not. So if somebody's in a long-term relationship and they are having a conversation with their partner and their partner is not willing at that time to drink the water, as you say, is that time to end the relationship or should somebody like come back in like, you know, a few weeks and ask again? And if, if they don't get a good response, do they move on then? I hear you. I've, I've got this book above my head, Exhausted Wives, Bewildered Husbands. And in that book, I talk about this dynamic of wives who have been with the same husband for 20 years trying to tell him it needs to change. It needs to change. It needs to change. And he says, gravity is real and water is wet. What are you telling me? Emotional intimacy is fake. Opening up to you is going to get me hurt. Nobody wants that. You're going to leave me. You don't work with me anyway. No one ever will. And then he doesn't take it seriously until she says, I'm done. I'm filing for divorce. And then after 20 years, he goes, wait, I'm willing to try now. People don't challenge those thoughts until they are at rock bottom and they're terrified of what's coming next. Then they're willing to learn. That's where the majority of people come in, especially anxious, avoidantly attached men, for example, come into my coaching practice. Adam, I've got so hurt. Everything is awful. I think what you're saying might be true, but I can't believe it. Please help me. That's where it is. It's, it's that rock bottom terror pain moment. So you must start applying consequences. Lesson three here, you guys in relationships, 
apply consequences for broken boundaries. If you don't care about my needs and refuse to take me seriously, I am not going to work with you as if we are on a team. I am going to start putting up boundaries. I'm going to not meet your needs, not as a punishment, but I just don't have those resources. So I'm not going to be able to meet your needs the way that you want me to. If you want me to meet those needs, you need to meet mine and take care of me. Again, this is not a cold transaction system. It's not exploitative. Both parties should be giving out of generosity and love. But if they are refusing and spitting in your face, you have to apply consequences. There must always be a consequence, a boundary. There must always be a boundary. How can people set healthy boundaries? Because I feel like people, and this is, I'm speaking also from personal experience, that when they want to set a bound, they want, when they want to set a boundary, it's a lot of times in like a high emotional state and it becomes very reactive and not proactive. How do you advise people, you know, properly, you know, set a boundary? I love this one. Doug, your questions are good. You're leading this. I love that. You've done this before. Um, rule number four, boundaries and ultimatums are good things. When they are based on your personal principles, your values, and your long-term goals, those are the two things boundaries should be drawn upon. Not your feelings. Your feelings can inform when a boundary has been broken, but they should be based on your personal history, your personal values and principles, and your long-term goals. Let me explain. Personal boundaries or personal principles. So the honor code that each person holds inside of them. Usually they are ashamed from not having done something in their past. They are hurt because somebody else didn't do something for them, or they are ashamed if uh, that other people can, will find out that they secretly are not doing those things, right? Or, here's a fourth one, they have characters or historical figures or people in their life that they admire who embodied certain characteristics. Those are the four places we start finding values. Mine, for example, honesty. I must always tell the truth. I cannot sleep at night if I have lied to somebody. I must tell the whole truth. I can't let falsehood just sit there. I can't let someone believe a lie for my convenience. Honesty is everything to me. Integrity. I must keep my word. I cannot break a responsibility or my word that I have given to somebody. I just cannot. And number three is compassion. I must do what is truly best for people who are hurting. That's compassion. Those are my three values. I must uphold those no matter what happens, and I can never let anybody get in through those or past those. So my life goals then come in next, right? I want to raise a healthy, loving family of kids. I got number five on the way right now. I got a wife and, and four and a half kids, five kids, however you, want to, however you want to count them right now. I've got a family that I need to take care of, and I also have a brand, right? Attachment that I am teaching to everyone in the world. I want to teach a billion people in the world about attachment so that we can fix the problems that are covering this world and make things better for my kids, my grandkids, and everybody's grandkids. So those are my two long-term goals. So my principles and my long-term goals. When somebody asks me to do something, I don't say, hmm, will this make them feel good and they'll owe me? I don't think, will this make me feel good? I say, what do my principles and my long-term goals have to say about this? If somebody is pressuring me to lie, not going to work. If somebody is pressuring me to do, take a business deal that's going to destroy my family somehow or, or take me away from my kids for three years, probably not going to work. If somebody is doing pressuring me to do something that would hurt my brand or throw away somebody who's hurting and just not take care of them because they're not convenient in some way, I say, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. Here is the reason why. 
I must take care of that person because compassion is one of my biggest things. And I cannot live with myself if I do that to that person. Hey, I cannot do that because that will destroy my family and my family is the reason I do everything. So I cannot sacrifice it that way. Hey, I am not able to lie to that person because honesty is everything to me. Now, here's what I do is say, what need do you have that's leading you to ask me to do this? Can we meet your need in a different way that isn't going to violate my principles? Let's negotiate there. Let's compromise there. We don't compromise on principles and goals, but let's compromise on how to get your need met, right? Healthy people will immediately back off and say, whoa, I don't want you to break those things because I respect you for those things. So don't do those. Here's my need. Is there a different way we can get it met? We, we work on that together, right? We figure that out. Unhealthy people that need to be out of your life will say, come on, don't be a stick in the mud. It's not a big deal. Just do it this once. You know, come on, you're a jerk. Why are you a prude? It's not that big of a problem. Look, what is, what's it going to be in the grand scheme of things? They find ways to make you break it for their convenience, their pleasure, their enjoyment, whatever it is. That is how you filter other people. This is why ultimatums, if you try to do X, if you do X to me, if you try to make me do this thing, or if you do that thing to me and violate my principles, I can't respect you. We cannot have a relationship. Ultimatums and boundaries should be based on those things, not just based on, oh, you made me sad. That's a boundary. Now I'm going to control your behavior. Does that make sense? For sure. And taking this one step further, let's just say that somebody's principle and what they want in a healthy relationship is quality time with their partner. Oh, yeah, yeah. And let's just say that their partner or somebody that they're dating is is working a lot, going out with their friends more than um, the person that they're um, in a relationship with, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is the healthy way to set a boundary, something like, Hey, so-and-so, you know, quality time is very important for me in a relationship. And I believe it's going to help us grow together. It would mean a lot if we could begin to spend more time together. Is that like a healthy way to kind of state the obvious without being like direct and like, ja- you know, and jabbing somebody, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's great. And you could talk to them and say, you know, I know you're super busy. Right. My wife and I, we do this all the time. We got four kids. She's a stay at home mom and I work 12, 13 hours a day. So we have this conversation quite often. Hey, you know, it's been a little while. We haven't had much time together apart from the kids, you and me. We need to spend some time together. How can we do that? Right. Hey, we need the, I need this. How can we make that happen? She doesn't stomp her foot or I don't stomp my foot and say, you need to spend time with me. You're too, you know, whatever it is. It's, hey, here's a need I have. How can we make that happen? Now, your partner may say, I don't know. I am so overwhelmed right now. I, I I don't even know what to do. At which point you can both sit down together and try to figure it out as a team. And maybe the answer is you're not going to have much time together for a couple of weeks or a month, right? But it shouldn't never be that way. If it's never that way, now you've got a serious problem in your compatibility as a couple. Now you've got a serious issue. Maybe there's a huge economic crash or something going on, but you've got some things you need to talk about. So do you think mastering the ability to not be nice and to be kind instead is like vital before getting into any kind of relationship? Because it seems like what we're talking about now goes back to the what we talked about with with being nice and, and working as a team or with uh, being kind and not being nice and working as a team that you have to stand up for yourself and you can't be this person that just says, oh, they're just busy. They got a lot on their mind. They have a lot on their plate. Meanwhile, you know, they, they, they're telling you they don't have time, but yet in their off hours, they're out partying with their friends all the time. 
This, uh, this, you're exactly right. So the word we're looking for here is securely attached. A person who has secure attachment believes others will take them seriously. They can relax. They can ask. They can negotiate. They can compromise without feeling crushed, without feeling pressured. They're not playing games with you. They're just straightforward. And they expect you to be the same. This, this affects everybody. I, I don't care if you... I don't care if you, you scoop up dog poop on the side of the road for a living or you're a millionaire global executive. I have executives come to me to learn this all the time. I have blue collar families come to me to learn this. I, I have entrepreneurs. Everybody is trying to learn to become more secure right now because your quality of life improves and all of your relationships improve. This is how you build love and trust and bonding with the people you care about and make your life get better. This is it. This is it. So what's lesson number five? Lesson number five that somebody needs to learn very early in life or as soon as possible is that other people don't care if you're interesting. So many people have attachment issues. They learned as a little kid that they were not interesting enough to hold mom and dad's attention or to be taken seriously or to be given quality time or focus or asked questions or or just bonded with. So they felt I wasn't interesting enough. Then they go out in the world, and if they have avoidant attachment, they think they have to manage other people to make them act right. So they they learn how to be interesting to other people and give them good feelings. And if they're anxiously attached, they believe they are flawed and unlovable, so they have to be interesting enough that people won't abandon them. So you have half the dating pool there, 65% of the the world, of Americans at least, um, insecurely attached flashing interest at each other and trying to stimulate each other saying, this is all I offer is to be constantly on entertaining and interesting and stimulating all the time. And if I ever stop, you will leave me or betray me or abandon me or turn on me. So I must always be interesting. And people are exhausted. Relationships feel like a ton of useless work for no love and no gain. Now, the chance here is for you to switch that and understand that what securely attached people and what most people actually want from you is cooperation, transparency, and companionship. They want you to be you, to live to your principles and to live to your goals and to use those as boundaries because that makes you predictable. That makes you understandable. So when a crisis hits, they don't have to say, How do I manage them so that they do the right thing and I don't get hurt? The crisis hits and they say, well, what are their principles? Oh, these things. So what are they going to do? Oh, that. That's great. I can trust that. And they can calm down during a crisis because they can trust you to have their back and not turn on them. An insecurely attached person will give in to fear most of the time and you can't trust them during a crisis. When a securely attached person is at your side, you have someone watching over you that you can rely on. And that's why most people prefer securely attached people in their life because they're so soothing. They're predictable and calm, but they also can go deeper in relationships with you. They can relax and talk with you and open up with you. And it feels amazing. So people out there learn that you don't have to be interesting because nobody cares. If you're interesting, you're competing with Netflix. If you are cooperative and transparent and have good companionship, you are competing with no one. Because it's you that they adore. You mentioned that, you know, the goal for people is they want to be with somebody that's securely attached. And I think that that makes sense, right? I I think that makes, obviously it makes a lot of sense. I also know that in dating, people put their best foot forward. 
right? And they lead with seven month rule. Yeah. Yeah. And so how can somebody know early on if they're actually talking to somebody who's securely attached and they're not just putting on a front? That was a great question. That's such a great question. So early on in relationships, anxious people, and it's primarily women who are anxious, but guys can get nice guy syndrome too. Anxious women will do everything for your approval. Everything is about you. There's no strings attached. They are so fun. They do everything for joy for you and they want nothing in return. They need nothing. They just, they just want to make you so happy all the time. But over time, fear starts to creep in. Approval seeking starts to creep in. Fear of abandonment starts to creep in. They have a lot of chronic anxiety. They tend to worry about things all the time at the drop of a hat. They are always kind of nervous and you seem to find yourself spending more and more time soothing their feelings and making them feel like you're not going to leave them. And it's exhausting because you cannot keep up with the emotional load that they put on you all the time. That right there is how you can tell someone is emotionally anxiously attached. And they also won't ask for their needs to get met, right? If they never ask for needs to get met and never share expectations, they are probably anxiously attached. Avoidantly attached people, on the other hand, are more likely to do at the beginning of a relationship what we call love bombing. They saturate you with incredibly good feelings. They fly you to Paris for the first date. They, they do everything right and everything is tactical and carefully measured out to give you the appearance of being open and connected with you without any actual substance about sharing who they are. They don't really have insecurity about themselves very often. They, they might. And they're not, but they're not afraid of abandonment. They're more afraid of rejection. So they don't really share anything objectionable that you might push back on unless they've gone really avoidant and then they push pretty hard on you and they pull, they give approval, then they pull back and they give approval and they pull back and they're trying to get you to chase them. That's a pretty good sign of avoidant attachment at the same time. If they can't share needs and it's a lot of tactical games and it's a lot of, of saturating good feelings right up front in the relationship, those first seven months are pretty fake. Securely attached people, on the other hand, are the ones who tend to get into deeper conversations quicker without diving into the full connection with you. They don't get addicted to you in three days. They're not chasing your approval. They're not trying to sleep with you on the first date. They are usually more reserved, but the conversations go deeper much quicker and they start figuring out what your goals are and sharing what their goals are and sharing needs and expectations and not in an angry, demanding, I've been wounded way. But in a very clear, hey, this is what I want. Is it what you want too? Yeah? Okay, great. No? Okay. Hey, you know what? Let's finish our dinner and uh, we'll part as friends. They are very clear about what they want and they're not going to settle for less than that. That's the biggest difference in the first, even just three dates. I have a three-date method I teach. You can filter for this on the first three dates if you know what to look for. How do you do that? Uh, first date, end of the first date, here's what secure people will usually do is say, hey, you know what? I don't want to play games. I'm just going to be clear about what I'm looking for. I want a long-term committed relationship. We don't have to get married today, but I, that's what I'm aiming for eventually is, is commitment. Probably a family, you know, marriage. That's what I'm thinking. I just want to see if we're on the same page. So if, if we are great, we can have a second date. This is how you go in for that second date. Ask super easy without even asking. Uh, and that's, that's wonderful. I'd love to get to know you better. If not, that is totally okay. Let's finish our dinner. We'll high five and we'll part as friends indicating that they're not here for casual sex and that they're not doing that because they really want the commitment. So what do you want? And they're clearly asking you if you want the same thing that they do. That's the end of a first date after, you know, two hours together, having dinner, three hours, whatever. 
that's a great end to a first date with a more securely attached person who's able to clearly articulate what they want. And people are hearing this right now, freaking out, saying, I'm going to ruin every date you'll ever have and you'll die alone. No, what you're going to do is filter in people who want exactly what you want, because secure people are not afraid of filtering out the wrong people. And I, I also think, especially because you're, you're- prefacing it by saying, I'm not looking to get married tomorrow. I'm just looking, I'm just looking to establish what I want. And exactly. That's that insecurely attached people are too petrified to use that phrase. I I was just on Instagram today and and I saw a reel of somebody on there saying, you can't talk about commitment on the first date. It's too much pressure. Yes. For people who are insecurely attached and run away from commitment and are terrified of close connection and relationships. You can mention it on the first date to someone who is more secure. You absolutely can. I've had definitely, you know, in in my um, years of dating, I've definitely respected people when they when they come out with their intentions in dating, and they're asking me like, "Hey, like, what are you looking for?" And I'll be honest and, and tell them what I'm looking for um, as far as a relationship. And then it's easy for me to then decipher if. I'm going to go on another date with that person because if I'm looking for a long-term relationship and so are they, but I'm not interested in them, then there's no point in going out with them again. Right. Exactly. There should, to, to that point here, here's, here's the next point is there should be a point to your relationship. You should actually have a purpose to the relationship. If you're just going out having casual fun. Okay. That's the point. That is your point. And if you want to get into a committed, loving relationship with kids and, and five kids, three dogs, a farm, you know, whatever it is, there's, that should be a point too. have a point to your relationships and then make sure that the other person is aiming for the same point that you are. Don't get into, I'm a little diatribe, but so often on TikTok and on Instagram, I have women DM me or comment in my comment sections on those platforms and say, Adam. I have been together with this gentleman for eight years. It's always eight years with for eight years. And he hasn't talked about marriage or kids yet. When is the right time for me to ask him if he wants to get married and have kids? And and I never I see it. And every time I'm like, how can someone do this for eight years? And I see it. I see it every, every couple of days. I see it. And I have for, for years, man. So I'm just always stuck. Like, So I write back very gently and say, okay, at eight years, there's a lot of conversations you should have had so far. What has held you back from having this conversation? And I know she's almost always anxiously attached and she's been afraid of hurting him or afraid of him abandoning her. So she hasn't made a fuss, right? She's been nice, nice, nice. But now she's spent eight years waiting to have kids and they haven't even talked about it. So have a point to your relationship and be clear what the point is and make sure your partner aligns with that point too. And then- When you have a point and you agree on it and you have a fight, you can both go back to that point and say, let's fix this because we want to have kids together. Let's see if we can fix this. Let's have this. Let's fix this because we are married now and we want to protect our marriage for life. Let's fix this because blank. You have a reason to fix it instead of, eh, this doesn't feel good. I'm out of here. Hey, you know, our sex life isn't what it could be at one year. Eh, I think I'm out. Hey, you know what? It's three years in, but I'm thinking about having an affair. Oh, why not? There's reasons to fix it for the purpose of the relationship. It's a unified mission that pulls you together. Does that make sense to you, Doug? hundred percent. And so how does somebody, like once they're in a long-term relationship, how can they establish like a mission or purpose for their relationship once they both already know like, all right, we're in this together for the long haul. 
Yeah. That's the second date I teach people to actually establish that on the second date. You should figure out what you want in your life. Do you want kids? Do you want a farm? Do you want to live in a city? Do you want to build a business? What does your life look like to you that you want to build? Roughly, rough map of your life, just a rough outline. And you talk about this on the second day. Hey, you know what? Last time we both said we're looking for commitment. Let's see if we're still compatible. Here's some things I've been thinking I would probably like to see in my life and blah, blah, blah. Here's the story. Here's what I'd like to build. And here's what I'm doing right now. And here's how I'm heading toward that. And here's me. Here's my good parts. What about you? Is that matching your vision? What are you looking at? Do you want to live on a farm in the middle of nowhere? Do you want to live in a big giant city? Are you looking for have to have kids? Like what, what, what are you excited for in your life? And you have these questions right up front when you're dating, when you have a purpose to the relationship, then you date with intention. Again, on the second date, you're not saying, would you like to bear my child? And the second date, you say, do you even, are you even thinking about having kids? Because I sure am. And you have these conversations right up front. If you haven't, and if you guys are listening to this, people out there, and you're peeing your pants right now because you're thinking of all the relationships conversations you haven't had, you've been together for two years, stop and set them down and say, hey, Let's see if, you know, I'd love to see if we can get on the same page so we both can be happy. Let's figure this out. What is your long-term vision for this? What are you thinking? Kids? 10 kids? One kid? Okay, two kids. What are you thinking for, like, when? What's what's your plan there? How does that look? Let's build this together. Then we can build it together. Have the conversation on the second date. And if you haven't, and you're past that already, have the conversation now. What's the third date look like? Ooh, I knew you were going to ask. Good one. The third date. So you've a you walk in, you say, you know what? We've established we're both looking for commitment, and I like you. Got the same vision of what we're kind of aiming for. It's cool. And and you and I have talked about our character, our principles a bit on that second date. You don't have to say all that exactly in those words, but third date, you say, look, I'm going to get real with you about what it would look like for me to date you and and for you to date me. Here are some things you should know about me. And you pitch them a couple of red flags in you that you are already working on improving. Hey, you know what? Um, I, I had this thing when I grew up. I had a kind of a tough, challenged relationship with my family. And I grew up having a really hard time sharing my needs and being honest with people. So when I get stressed out, I kind of go into this approval-seeking mode. And I hate it, and I'm working on it. So I've been working with this attachment specialist coach, Adam Wayne Smith. I took his course. I've read his books. I have a therapist now. And I'm working diligently on it. So if you ever see me go into this mode, here's what I would do. And, and you give them a couple of your symptoms or, or your signs that you would do. You out yourself. And you say, if you ever see this, tell me and I will fix it because it's my problem and I'm working on it. So what you have done here is you wave your red flag. You say, hey, look, you wonder where the landmines are. It's right here. Jur, big red flag. Don't step on this landmine. And... Look at all the things I've told you that I'm doing to work on it, and I'm self-aware, and it's my problem, and I am going to take care of it so you don't get blindsided by it. What you've done is turn your red flag into like four or five green flags that paint you in tremendously good light while also being honest with them. And you can do this with one, two, three things, right? Job interviews, they ask you this. What's your greatest weakness? If you say, I have none, then they don't hire you. If you say everything, they don't hire you. But if you could say, it's this, and here's how I've worked on it, and, and here's what I would do to manage it. They hire you right there because they love that answer. Same thing on a third date. So you also ask them, pitch it to them. Hey, what about you? What are some things I should know about you? And you see, here's where you filter out anxiously attached people. You see if they can come back and be honest. Oh, you know, I, I don't have anything like that. I'm pretty great. 
Yeah, probably not. <laughs> oh, you know what? Everything is wrong with me. You you sound so together. I wish I had done that work. I just feel so stuck. Probably not a good choice. Oh man, you know, like I and then they start trauma dumping on you, all the traumas they've experienced, and they have what's called a problem saturated story. Everyone has betrayed them, or they haven't done any work to manage any of their problems, right? Or they just don't know what their problems are. Probably not a good match. A securely attached person, everybody's got baggage. Hey, uh, here's something you should know about me. You know, I, I live here in the city. It's been kind of lonely because I just moved here not that long ago. So yeah, I'm kind of lonely. I'll probably want to spend a lot more time with you than, than you might expect at first. Let me know if it's too much and, and I'll find other things to spend my time on or you know whatever it might be. Everybody's got some kind of baggage, man. Everybody does. It's about if you can be honest about it and if you're working on it or if it's other people's problem. That is should be, must be the third date is doing that because by the end of that, You've established you both want commitment. You've established you've got a shared vision of the same thing. You've established what your shared values and principles are and that you can respect each other and trust each other. And then you've established that the other person can be open and honest about problems, but they're working on those problems, right? By the end of the third date, you could say, hey, this is this is pretty good. Like, how many more dates do you think that you're going to need before you're comfortable putting a label on this, being exclusive, right? Let's Let's, let's make this a thing because I don't want you to get away. And you can do this you know, on a third date. If, if it's you know two weeks in, three weeks in, whatever, you can build that up and go exclusive pretty quick and not let your partner get away. My wife and I, we did this approach. We got engaged two weeks. Wow. We got married at 11 months. We've been married. Our 15-year wedding anniversary is coming up in January, and we got baby number five on the way. So it works. I know that it works because it worked for me. Congrats, man. That's amazing. Um, Thank you, bro. I, I'd love to know. So you just mentioned that you de- you want to be aware of people who are anxiously attached. And if they're not honest about their shortcomings, that that's a big red flag. It is. What if somebody comes out and owns it and just says, hey, listen, like I've been doing a lot of work on attachment. I've been following this guy, Adam. I've understood that I'm anxiously attached. I had some stuff going in childhood with my parents, but I've spent the last you know year not only identifying that, but really working on myself and you know, when I get stressed, I get a little bit anxious, like all these things. And and this person's being honest with you about that and their commitment to working on themselves. Would you say that it's it's still, it's still, you know, safe to proceed with that person? Correct? Hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Here's the secret about attachment is you can fix it. Most people don't, most people don't know about attachment and the few that do think it's set in stone. You can change it. You can become secure. So the work that they're doing can make them become secure. And then they can prove it to you over the course of the relationship. You spend the whole first year of the relationship stress testing to see if people were honest on the first three dates. You don't need more than a year to decide if someone is the right fit for you in marriage if you do it right. So you stress test for the full first whole year and you see if they were honest with you during that process. And you see how they act when they get stressed out. You see how they act when you point out other additional red flags you find you see how they act out when you, when you push stress on the relationship and they do they rise to the occasion and fix it and cooperate or do they sink down and start doing these things and blaming you? You stress test it and that's exactly how. No, it's it's not a death flag if someone has had attachment issues as long as they're aware of it and they're fixing it. What's number seven? What's the seventh lesson that you believe most people learn too late? It is that you get out of relationships, two things. Number one, what you put in. But number two, the person that you've connected with, their ability to give and your ability to give. If you can take each other seriously 
And if you can be open about your needs and be clear with your boundaries and set all the rules and the goals and everything up in advance, and if you can be kind instead of nice, and if you can cooperate and be transparent, and if you filtered properly, you can build an incredible relationship where the divorce rate is darn near zero. You don't have to worry about that 50% stat. No, that's for all these problems if you never address or fix them. If you address and fix these things, your risk of divorce drops to darn near zero. And I say that now as an attachment specialist and previous to that as a licensed marriage and family therapist, you can drop your divorce rate to almost zero as long as you are doing your work and have a partner who's willing to do their side of the work too. That is the rule here. You get out what you both put in. A relationship must be both of you. And that includes them and you. I love that, man. So- I would love to spend the last like 15 minutes or so talking about going from an insecure attachment to a secure attachment. If you were to lay it out for me, let's just say that somebody is, has an insecure attachment. Let's just say anxious. Would you say anxious attachment is more common than avoidant? For women, anxious is more common. For men, avoidant is more common. Let's just say that somebody has an avoidant attachment. That way, this will, this will give people an understanding if they feel like their partner is avoidant, they can you know maybe try to figure out ways to help coach them, not coach them, but you know, connect with them on how to, to address this. If you could only give somebody five steps to fix an avoidant attachment and turn it into a secure attachment, what would they be and why? Oh man. So I give people 10 steps in my attachment bootcamp video course. And it's, yeah, it's very, very clear. Let's boil it down to five, five steps. Number one is to learn that attachment exists. This is the biggest problem because most people, gravity is, doesn't work. Water is dry. No, that doesn't. That's not true. But when you learn attachment theory and everybody watching this and, and listening to this has now learned a bit about attachment, right? Avoidant people, their belief is that other people are the problem and other people are lying. So they don't believe that other people can tell them the truth like this. So when they hear some dude on the internet talk about attachment, it sounds like, you know, water is dry. Over time, you'll think about it and say, well, what if that guy's right? And you'll learn about it. You learn about attachment. Step one is to learn about attachment and then to start maybe thinking it could be true. Step two is to then pick your principles. Pick your three principles. We talked about that here in this, in this podcast. Pick the three things that you want to embody for the rest of your life. Instead of giving in to fear, instead of violating that honor code, you stick to it. You stick to your principles in every decision that you make. And you talk to other people about them too. You start making those, those decisions known. And you build that out in your life in such a way that you are sticking to your principles. This will end self-hatred. This will end self-disgust. This will end you feeling like a coward because you'll start living that. Number three is to start filtering the people around you based on if they live to your principles or not. Do they uphold them? If they don't, you can't respect them. And you also can't be be honest and safe in a relationship with them because they're probably going to stab you in the back or they're going to turn on you. Something will go wrong. So start filtering the people around you in your life for that as well. Step number four is to start opening up to other people that you trust, the filtered good people, in little ways. Open up and ask for a little help on this thing. Open up and ask for clarity on that problem. Open up and share this little part of yourself. I have what I call the I am an anxious person speech, where you go to people and you out yourself for having some insecure attachment, whether it's anxious or avoidant. You go and you share, hey, this is me. This is what I do and I don't like it anymore. So I'm going to stop doing it. So if you see me do it, call me on it, right? Kind of that third date mentality. But you tell your friends this and they open up and they accept you and you get that experience. You're like, what? Someone accepts me? 
And number five then is to lean into experiences with the people around you. Because as a child, your experiences taught you that other people would not take you seriously or care about you or listen to you or help you, that they would abandon you, they would betray you, they would act badly. Experiences taught you that. Learning, learning, learning on the internet and doing endless self-improvement is not going to make the the difference. Having good experiences with loving people who actually love and accept you, that is the healing work. And I have seen miracles happen. I remember I had one couple come into my office. Um, She was anxious. He was avoidant. She was pregnant. And they had just discovered he was having an affair two weeks before they got into my office. Disaster of a situation, right? Disaster. He wanted to leave. She wanted him to stay. And they walked in and I said, I gave them the assessment. I gave them a full attachment assessment. And I said, you guys are a mess with attachment. Both of you, you are incapable of giving or receiving love. And they both were like, what does that mean? I say, you have missed 90% of the benefit of your marriage. You have had, you've been living on 10% of what you could be enjoying together. 90% is missing. And they said, how, how do we fix that? And I said, here is what you are going to do. And we built them a plan and they followed it. They had open conversations with others. They stopped being nice. They started sharing their needs. They started talking to each other more clearly about their hurts, about their fears, and then sharing and fixing them. They're like, well, that's reasonable. Let's do it. They took care of each other three weeks in. So this is five weeks after she found out he was cheating. She was still pregnant. And he was so fulfilled in the relationship, and so was she. And he said, I don't want anything to do with anybody else ever again. This is this has been everything I've ever chased in my whole life in this partner. And she was so fulfilled and so comfortable and safe with him. It was They were better than they had ever been, even as newlyweds, even at the first month of dating in the honeymoon period. They had never been more fulfilled together. And I walked them through healing, and it got better and better and better. So Guys out there, everybody out there, that's the power of attachment. If you fix it together, that's the kind of love that you can find. Where can people find out more about your work and what you do? You can find all of my work on adamlanesmith.com. So Lane is L-A-N-E for Adam Lane Smith. You can find me on Instagram if you like looking at visual posts and, and short reels and stuff like that. I'm at Attachment Adam. I'm also on YouTube as at Attachment Adam, where I've got over 450 video guides for attachment. I can help. And I'd be happy to coach you or guide you through this process. Just reach out. I'm only a click away. Adam, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'll be sure to include the links to your stuff in the show notes. The audience is going to really enjoy this conversation. So thank you once again. Thank you, Doug. It's been an honor.